Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fanthropological, the podcast that covers the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about the fandom of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're going to podcast once more with feeling, and here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. I laugh in the face of danger, and then I hide until it goes away. And Nick Z. Like Zoink Scoob. <laughs> There's a Scooby gang involved, right? Yep, uh, that's right. We're covering right. the people in Hanna-Barbera today. <laughs> and cheap animation. Most, <laughs> most tangentially related, but yes. Yeah, it's covered. Perfect. I like how you brought in Once More with Feeling because it is like... I, I don't think I watched the series regularly until it made it that far, but I definitely caught that episode just in the out of the blue mm-hmm. and even though i don't remember much of the series i just love that episode so much <laughs> i feel like that out of i feel like that aspect of of buffy has really like like carried on it's one of the first things i remembered about it like before this episode i didn't, I didn't know that much about it but like i knew that and then like joss whedon does it again with like dr horrible and stuff like that so that's oh, yeah it's i think it's one of the most famous things about the show so it's kind of carries on and then i believe scrubs did one as well and so on <laughs> and so forth <laughs> i mean i feel like i could talk about that at length but i think we might want to keep it back to the scooby gang and uh <laughs> get this episode of rolling i'm gonna get started with a little bit about buffy the vampire slayer in case you didn't know anything about it because i learned some things that i definitely didn't know For example, the television show premiered in 1997, but it was based off of a movie that came out in 1992, which I still have not seen to this day. The series narrative follows Buffy Summers, played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, the latest in a line of young women known as vampire slayers or simply slayers. In the story, slayers or the chosen ones are called, that is chosen by fate, to battle against vampires, demons, and other forces of darkness. Buffy wants to live a normal life, but as the series progresses, she learns to embrace her destiny. Like previous Slayers, Buffy is aided by a Watcher, who guides, teaches, and trains her. But unlike her predecessors, Buffy surrounds herself with a circle of loyal friends, who become known as the Scooby Gang. There it is. There it is. And that's from Wikipedia on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have a couple of fun facts about the show. And about the fans, I managed to find a survey conducted in 2017 on the Buffy subreddit. I also found more historical data than that, but this was the most up-to-date one I could find. In terms of gender, unlike many of the fandoms we follow on Reddit, this one has a fairly even split, about 51% female and 47% male. Uh, Surprising to me, most of the fans are age 25 to 34, which is approximately our age and people that grew up with the show, Mm -hmm. 44% of folks. Uh, But interesting to me is that there are more fans younger than 25 than there are over 34. Interesting. Hmm. And it's like two to one. So people must have found it after the fact. Yeah, or like... Like almost certainly. Or there's like a cultural divide. Like if you didn't 
see or hear about it when you're growing up it just like isn't part of your uh like the zeitgeist of you of your time mm-hmm. we're gonna get to the point now where like people who grew up with it could be showing it to their kids yes that's that's true and the data doesn't go much deeper like i don't think there's like a one to nine category or something like that mm. um we can still wildly speculate though that's <laughs> that's that's fun for two or three minutes um the least favorite season and this was a surprise to me is season number one yep oh interesting did did you learn something about that z you it sounds like you know things (laughs) well in uh reading up for my own famous last words uh which i can get into a little bit later since we're in the facts right now the fact that i learned was that the first season was still very much a monster of the week kind of uh, kind of affair, so it wasn't it wasn't really a show at that point that set itself apart from other TV shows at the time. It wasn't until they got to the end of season one and into season two where it became more about telling longer stories across multiple episodes, good old serialized storytelling that people really seemed to to take a shine to the show. Uh, the most favorite season was number five, uh, which for anyone following along or somebody who doesn't have as much context like me, that was when they introduced Buffy's sister, Dawn. Interesting. Which I think was about when I stopped watching the show, approximately. Um, there's also data in the survey to be to ask, you know, when did you start watching the show? From which episode? a large majority of folks started watching from the beginning. And by that, I mean like out of approximately 200 or so responses, 180 of them are episode one. Welcome to the Hellmouth. Like that was their first episode. Yep. Now these are people on the Buffy subreddit, so they probably are big fans, most likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I also found out there was a tag cloud that was included and they asked, you know, what are some of your favorite non Whedon shows? And I'll include it in the show notes, but it is all over the place. You've got everything <laughs> from desperate housewives to Evangelion. You got band of brothers to critical role. Uh, there's like, you know, a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. You got, but you got like Frasier and family guy and black mirror, mm-hmm. big little eyes Seinfeld, Criminal Minds, uh, okay, this is just a mistake. Dollhouse, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that one, that one doesn't belong there. Yeah, but it's just like kind of all over the map, really. Mash, Mash is in here. Hey, sure. Uh, That previous episode, How I Met Your Mother, all sorts of stuff. Just TV shows. Yep, (laughs) people, people just watch whatever. I have. Google Trends data, uh, and as we know, it only goes back to 2004, which is good because the show ended in approximately the spring of 2003. Interest in the show has gone downhill pretty linearly from 2004 to 2007, and quite a bit more slowly from then until now. Surprising to me was that the places that have been the most interested in Buffy are Canada, the UK, Ireland, and Australia. Oh, so yeah, all English-speaking countries, but not the the United States. The United States yeah. is is the next one, but like, I wouldn't expect Canada to top out. No, 
Uh, we're number one. Yeah. That's all I say. Uh, so in the coming war er, war between countries, uh, remember that we love Buffy and you you didn't. Yep. The war, of course, being over who is the best and most correct kind of fan. Yeah. Oh, no. The, the most important war of all. I'm not looking forward to this war. <laughs> it's a war of pedantry. Ah, the worst. <laughs> and uh, the last fandom pack that I have, which might tie into some other things later in this episode, is it was one of the first shows on the WB network. Now home of superhero well it's the cw now but it's oh the same but perhaps those two things are related as well oh it's a possibility i did see in one source that uh buffy is still the best superhero show on tv do they know that it's not on tv <laughs> I think they mean in like an ever sense. Oh, I guess I guess it's on their TV. Oh yes, it's on any. <laughs> it's on Netflix. It's on everybody's TV. Let's be honest. It can be on TV. Z, what were your first impressions of Buffy from the beginning of your life to the beginning of this episode? <laughs> well, let me tell you with a story that spans from the beginning of my life to the beginning of this episode. Hmm. <laughs> made a tactical error seriously though seriously i actually never watched buffy while it was airing in its in its uh normal run it's it's run normal run but i remember hearing a lot about it once i got into university once i got into arts house um there's a lot of talk of once more with feeling a lot mm -hmm. of talk about how the show was so awesome uh some surprised Responses when I said, yeah, I, never, I, never, I didn't see it. Um, heard the names Willow and Tara a few times. But even then, never actually saw the show. Wasn't until I was commissioned to write a review for one episode uh, for a collection of reviews in the Outside In series, where the reviews are in these crazy formats. Um, I, uh, the episode that I watched was Smashed, which I think is from season six. It's it's so late that um, Willow has come out and smashed is the episode where she basically becomes addicted to black magic. Ooh. And for the for the record, for those curious, I wrote my review of the episode in the form of a Dear Abby letter. That can be found in Outside In Takes a Stab. 139 new perspectives on 139 Buffy stories by 139 writers. Put out by hey. ATB Publishing. Now the uh, post-credits scene in that little story about my impressions of Buffy comes with a surprise twist because I'm pretty sure I saw the movie as a kid. What? Sure. Like I'm pretty sure once it came out on VHS because it was supposed to be like this joke horror movie. Even though I was way too young to get that, it was rented as part of like the usual we rent two movies every week kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and i want to say that my my impression of it then was it's just this horror movie and horror movies are bad so maybe that maybe that contributed to my not watching it my not picking up what everybody was putting down when they were telling me how awesome it was i mean the movie apparently had paul rubens donald sutherland rutger hauer and luke perry in it as well as christy swanson which is a name 
The only name on that list I do not recognize. Yeah. <laughs> she was Buffy. I yeah, oh, I pieced that together. <laughs> um I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here because like Z, I also Ooh. saw the movie. Uh, what? Um, and I remember nothing about it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely nothing. I just know that I saw it. Uh, based off of that, I was like, "That oh, that movie I saw, it was fine, I guess. I don't really want to watch a TV series that's the same as that." Um, so I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it. It was always like, I was aware of it in pop culture. I knew people really liked Sarah Michelle Gellar a lot. I yeah. heard about you know once more feeling uh when joss whedon started to have a string of successful tv shows i know that he was like he started with buffy basically and and that that was kind of where he began but I'd, i had a cultural knowledge of it but never too many people around me who were super into it certainly no one who had the power to make me watch it <laughs> um and i just uh i just never did i knew it was a thing that a lot of people liked uh but uh I never really touched it because anything, anything like horror-ish, like vampire zombies, like I'm not afraid of it being scary. It's just like that subject matter is like not that interesting to me. So I, I never, uh, I never really uh, went out of my way to uh, to touch it. What were you gonna say, Z? I was just going to say that uh, the one thing that I remember from that movie might be from some other joke horror movie. I think there was a cheerleading sh- a, a cheerleading chant that went something like. How loose, how loose, how loose is your caboose? Wow. I think, I think that came from that movie. All right, I'm going to do a little research here while T tells us. <laughs> Define, defining a of generation. Buffy. Yes, our, our cabooses are loose and they've been defined <laughs> by Buffy. Uh, in a twist compared to the two of your experiences, I have not seen the movie. I assumed that nobody saw the movie. They just make television series for <laughs> movies on a whim no i've i have no idea i actually watched the show i remember it coming out while i was in elementary school it would have been middle school if there were middle schools where i was from i followed the show pretty steadily probably until some point in high school i think it was probably a combination of like transitioning from like buffy and shows on television to anime Mm -hmm. like i just i don't think that was a conscious decision but i think that happened because also in elementary school, I was really interested in like the occult and like aliens and the paranormal and all that kind of stuff. And it's not like that interest ever like immediately went away, but it did dramatically decrease. But as you said, the, the show was pretty popular and it was so popular that one of my teachers, admittedly uh, a woman who is pretty fresh out of teacher's college. I don't know this. I think I surmised this from what I'd been told, um, but she was a big fan of the show. And she had really latched onto the female empowerment part of the show. And it was something that like our class could share. And I was part of a small class, which was only like 10 or so people. Wow. Um, for me, it was, it was this cast of characters and this like breaking the fourth wall and lots of quips. I probably would have said that my favorite character was Xander because he was always <laughs> saying something stupid and funny. Um, <laughs> And I probably would have had a crush. I probably had a crush on all of all of the women on the show. Cause like they would have been a little bit older than I was. But mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they're in high school and I'm I'm growing up. Uh and and I also really enjoyed like Giles and his his dry 
sense of humor. Uh, and I later just learned that Anthony Head is a pretty good actor. He so good. He turned up an episode of Doctor Who. Hey. <laughs> and uh, Alison Hannigan later turned up on some sitcom. Uh, How I Met yeah. Your Mother. Yeah, had some amount of popularity. Um, so <laughs> impor- importantly, I have the quote here, uh, and, it, 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 and it is thus. <clears throat> How funky is your chicken? How funky is your chicken? How loose is your goose? Our goose is totally loose. So come on, all you hog fans. So come on, all you hog fans, and shake your caboose. Does that sound right, see? That sounds exactly right. <laughs> okay. I can taste the uh, the inevitable popcorn and soda that I was uh, enjoying while watching the movie. <laughs> you too can have a foot of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> Now's as good a time as any to dig a little bit deeper into Buffy. And when we were prepping for this episode, I think one thing that was... Sorry, not that we were trying to avoid it, but something that's unavoidably linked to Buffy is this this um, idea of, you know, the show having a strong promotion of feminism and how it's kind of intertwined with, like, the story and the fandom. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot, quite a lot on the subject. I found an academic paper, actually. And I found an, first, I found an article about people doing courses about Buffy. And mm-hmm. from there, I found an academic paper. and And it's sort of... And sort of a, a conversation about feminism centered around Buffy, because it's like, um, is Buffy just like a male character with a gender swap? Mm-hmm. Is is she a less feminist character because she embodies like like the the blonde cheerleader stereotype, or is that part of the strength of 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 the show? So it was it was super fascinating. There's been a lot, and you know, a lot of a lot of academic discourse about. Um, the place of Buffy in in feminism, but uh, reg- regardless of which angle it was, it wasn't like that much that was also on TV at the time. Yeah, there really wasn't another show on at the time about women who had power, who fought the forces of evil. Yeah, so it's targeted at at youths or, or adults or tweens or teens or, or whatever, and whether or not Buffy is a cheerleader and that's good for feminism or not it gives you more than one it's not like a story that has a woman as the main character that is gender swapped or or whatever it's got a whole cast of characters yeah and they're all like one they're 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 kind of real in the sense in as real as you can have people that are living in a town that's on the hellmouth <laughs> but but like you have different displays of like what a woman can be and it doesn't have to be the same archetype you don't have to be the bubbly blonde cheerleader who also happens to be a person with massive power and slaying ability you also have like willow who starts off as like a nerdy kind of character and then grows up to be like this badass witch crazy powerful witch uh i honestly do not remember what happened to cordelia other than she started off being a really mean-spirited character and eventually became a a kinder more empathetic character um Mm. you have male characters that are like more or less useless xander (laughs) comedic relief but like (laughs) for many of the episodes isn't isn't the one who's you know in the heat of the action yeah 
And uh, you also have this idea of man pain that I had not heard about <laughs> until I read yeah. some articles on the subject. <laughs> I saw the word or the, the the concept of man pain and I was like, huh? And then the second I see it explained, I'm like, oh, that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like this, this, this protagonistic uh, weight of the world on your shoulders. No one understands my, my struggle because mine is like deeper and more secret than everybody else's. Yes. Well, it's it's Iron Man in Avengers Endgame. It's Batman <laughs> in literally any situation. <laughs> yep. There was this really good article that that kind of it was just touching on a slice of of um, how Buffy portrayed feminism. And I, I as I read other articles, I realized how many other different angles there there were, and there's many. Uh, but it's from this article on Vox talking about uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its impact on feminism on its 20th anniversary. And I'm going to read this quote here because I thought it was is pretty good and eye-opening to me, uh, which was, As described by film scholar Carol J. Clover, the blonde girl of horror is a foil for the brunette final girl who will survive to the end of the movie. The blonde is feminine, where the final girl is tomboyish, and sexual, where the final girl is virginal. For those crimes, those specifically feminine crimes, she must be punished. When you see a cute blonde cheerleader having sex in a horror movie, you know the monster is about to kill her horribly. And the article talked a lot about how how the feminism in the show was subversive, and I didn't realize, like, those are tropes that I'd heard over and over before, but I didn't realize that, you know, they're tropes because of the ideas that they promote, that it's like... That it's like we don't want these kinds of... It's, it's like a misogynistic... It's from a misogynistic kind of I, area. I, or at a, oppressive I recon- at least. I recognize that from like high school romantic comedies of the time. <laughs> it Like th- those tropes are also in there just like it's fewer people dying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Are, are there a lot of people dying in romantic comedies? <laughs> there might be one or two. I mean... In Romeo and Juliet, there's lots. Ah, oh, well. <laughs> Up to you whether you consider it a comedy. In the, in the traditional sense, maybe not so much. Not at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> what I found really interesting was uh, the Atlantic's article, How Buffy Became a Third Wave Feminist Icon. Just because, I mean, I kind of had a vague idea of the sort of the waves of feminism from all of my English theory classes, because that's one one of many theories for reading literature. You can apply feminism to it, and then the question is, which wave? <clears throat> and all that sort of thing. Um, but, like, I just thought it was interesting how this, this show, and this really speaks to why I think academics like it so much, or liked it so much when it was still current, um, was because, sure, it's this show about beating up monsters... But, like, these monsters represent these anxieties, these issues that people, that teens and college-age people are dealing with. But also, even within the character of Buffy herself, because the article focuses on the last season of the show, where Buffy is basically faced with um, a demon of pure misogyny, and also uh, the responsibility of training up the next batch of slayers, but also maybe maybe dying and passing her power to the next slayer singular or ultimately 
spoilers if anyone's interested or worried about that sort of thing. Um, giving that power to all of the slayers she's training up through the, the help of Willow and her magics. But like in terms of third wave feminism, that um, speaks to the complications where third wave feminism from a very quick and dirty Wikipedia definition. So don't use this on your, on your uh, term papers, anybody, <laughs> but it was mostly about individualism and diversity well, and also about trying to redefine what it meant to be a feminist. But, like, even in that definition itself, like, individualism and diversity, the individual's importance, diversity's importance, like, seems to introduce that clash of the single person, the single leader, the single slayer, versus a more collective kind of action, which ultimately happens in the show. So, I mean, that little... Back and forth, even with myself there. Great example. <laughs> I think why I think academics like the show so much. You just scratch a little bit away from the surface, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Whether it's feminism you're talking about or everyday everyday problems. Yeah, because it portrayed a lot of its problem, like a lot of everyday problems and issues in the form of, of the monsters, right? Yeah. As you said, yeah. being a pure misogyny... For, as one example. Yeah. So like there's a there's like a metaphor like ready to be like poked poked out a little bit and uh, and opened up. Yeah. There's a sorry, as you were talking about that Z, I realized that I had also read that article and there's a really great quote in it. And it's it's great because it's just like it's something that could have been written today, but it was written back in 2003 when I presume this episode and it's um it's after you know she she's talked to willow and willow can give all these slayers the power because buffy can't pass on her power until she dies yeah and so she says here's the part where you make a choice what if you could have that power now in every generation one slayer is born because a bunch of men who died thousands of years ago made up that rule they were powerful men this woman is more powerful than all of them combined so i say we change the rules I say my power should be our power. Uh, and then it goes on like that. But like it's just like, <laughs> it's yeah. just great. And I, I feel like we could fill an entire episode just talking about like feminism in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I mean, we probably couldn't because we're not experts. But no, but there, but there's will, more than enough. Um, we'll, link, we'll link to a bunch of stuff that we looked at um, this episode for, for further reading. There's a lot. And... If there is a university or college near you that uh, that has a course on Buffy, you should take it. Yeah. Buff, buff, Buffyology, as I am told. Buffyology. <laughs> Slayage. <laughs> One thing that I found fascinating, though, and it could tie back to that quote, is the impact that Buffy the Vampire Slayer had on television. Because as somebody who grew up with it, I kind of took it for granted that, you know, this this show is influential, but all of these other shows are kind of like it. So how would I know? They all look the same to me. Um, mm -hmm. But it, based on what I'd read, like critics were big fans of it. Um, it, it supposedly changed the landscape and yet it wasn't super popular when it came out. No, it was more of a cult thing. It sounded to me like, uh, like, like, yeah, it was a cult thing. And from the sounds of it, season one had a lot more, had a lot more camp, had a lot more 
shtick to it yeah. in order to like you want to put sci-fi on television for teens man it's gonna have to be really outlandish <laughs> they better laugh all the time otherwise yeah. they're they're gonna hate it but it sounded like that you know you know with the um you know the joss whedon dialogue and yep. um and all that 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 like uh, a fantasy series was like kind of being given a little cred it was like cool right mm-hmm. and like i feel like there weren't a lot not a lot of cool fantasy shows even like urban <laughs> fantasy at the time or even in the recent yeah. past at that point so like the fact the fact that there's something that has these fantastical elements and is like written well and is like and and starts to pick up that serialized storytelling that you'd get from like a book for example fantasy's main main haunt for a majority of its life <laughs> i think that's what drew people in like like people who were following it at the cult stage i think that's what drew those people in and it sounds too like like Joss Whedon and the crew making making buffy were kind of like would kind of like revel in that revel in who their audience was and what they're interested in such as with the idea of a musical episode dan Harmon did the same thing with community i mean just at, like at that point it was a little bit less novel <laughs> yeah it was but it was like it, there was a sense of i know who, who the audience is and they're gonna enjoy us doing these experiments with tv it was yeah i think buffett was definitely the first to do and to to do stuff like that but uh yeah, it was like being being in tune with like another wave of like you know nerds who wanted their their nerdiness to be cool or, or what have you. Yeah, and I I don't know in the history of of geek where Buffy falls because we know that sometime in the nineties, probably with the advent of the internet, like geek started its path towards being not something that's done in the shadows, mm-hmm. um, but something that's like more openly celebrated. Obviously, not in two thousand three when the series ended but like it was in that foundational era yeah it's when bands start picking up steam and like the next generation of of people were were being like oh man i like this nerdy stuff i want to see this i want to see this on television because i didn't get to see it on television i'm I'm now curious like when the cw started because it's hard to imagine a network an entire network like the cw without somebody like buffy kicking it off yeah. 2006 is the answer. Okie dokie. It's a little bit after. Yeah, it could be one of those situations where they started with the reruns and only had a few original shows. Oh, interesting. So That was, that was the case when they were the WB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks like a lot of shows came over from the WB. Um, mm-hmm. w, or when Buffy was aired on the WB, and I forget which article that I read this from, it was later paired up with shows like the Gilmore girls or no, okay. wait, Dawson's Creek, Dawson's Creek, Dawson's uh, Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because people realize that it's like, well, teens are watching this show and they're also liking this show and there's like some synergy going on here. Mm-hmm. But, um, also at the point when the CW launched, you had your small villain supernatural. Ah, yeah. there it is. Yeah. Which is very hard to imagine without Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now you have your Riverdale alongside Flash ah. and uh, and Arrow and um, Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> man, oh man. Uh, Super- Supergirl's on a different network, but that's weird. It's in the same universe. <laughs> right. So weird. 
like it looks like Buffy like kind of kicked off the supernatural teen genre, which I I think when it started it wasn't much of a genre, but no. uh, but certainly is now. Oh yeah, for sure. I think what really helped uh, things along though, along with this this network, this CW, having these shows and just these shows being around in general, your supernaturals, etc. Tumblr began in 2007. Oh, okay. So you've got like maybe a, a okay. second wave, like an echo of the original series, fans of it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Meme culture taking off. An easy place yeah. just to post up a bunch of goofy pictures. Fun captions. When Tumblr, Tumblr starts, you already have Super Who. And then yeah. Sherlock, I believe, was 2010. Yes. So that's the trifecta. <laughs> But when, like, when I think of, of teen fans, you know, you think of like sort of general fans, mostly men, mostly men, but general fans, you think Reddit. When you think of like teen fans of stuff, I always, well, when I think of teen fans of stuff, I always think Tumblr is like the forum of choice for that sort of demographic, for that, I don't want to say generation, but like that group. And so it's coming around so relatively soon on the heels that so relatively shortly after Buffy had ended, but this new crop of supernatural urban fantasy type shows had started up really suggests that like Buffy might've changed TV, but it also sort of sowed the seeds a little bit for developing further. What we saw the X-Files do in a previous episode shape that internet fandom. Yeah. That was something that I found a little bit unusual doing the research for this by all means buffy has a large fandom uh, i i didn't get a good grasp of of which ways it goes but i i feel like it's kind of in a sort of stasis from what i could tell yeah like it's it's just that it ended in 2003 and there's been like yeah. there's a there's a, a long time to research is there not yeah there is uh it's... i could bring up some famous last words if you want <laughs> i mean you could okay i'll i'll quickly should. i'll quickly go into that yeah so speaking of the reboot um my famous last words were you know how did the buffy fandom change after the whole joss whedon controversy without bringing too much about it uh joss whedon had done some joss whedon is is lauded as being like a very feminist kind of person promoting a lot of female talent um in the shows that he he does and you know that those things are true but it was discovered that it might be there might be an element of performativeness to it that it, it is not 100 percent genuine uh as like he was caught like cheating on his wife and a number of stories came out after that uh if you look up joss whedon controversy i'm sure you'll find stuff on it on the internet but uh he's also helming the reboot which i believe is also on is on fox or something to that effect and so i was i was looking into like how did the fandom change after that and the answer was i don't know that it did i know that people who were fans of joss whedon in general that changed there was a site whedon-esque which like not too long after that announcement they're like nope we're shutting down we don't want this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i found a couple articles talking about the reboot and many folks some folks are happy because they desperately want more Buffy. And a lot of folks are not for the reasons that you'd expect for a reboot. Like, it's a cash cow. It's just a, 
It's like we're just going to cash in on people's nostalgia, which is, you know, normal. Uh, there are folks that are like, hey, you know, it's great that you want to have a black person as the lead, but like it feels really lazy to just have a black lead telling the exact same story. Give us a new story. Give us their own story. Um, or folks just have like shell shock after seeing some of the charmed reboot come out and be like, yep, this didn't turn out well. And I don't have high hopes for Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. And so in pretty much all of the, the things you looked at for that, they referred to it as a reboot. Yes. Okay. I mean, it was only yeah. one of the articles I looked at and it was only tangentially, but I heard it or read it, uh, referred to as a sequel. Not that that makes a huge difference. Mm but at least there's the potential that it's not just going to be the same story. Yeah. And it like from, from all accounts, it looks like the, the Buffy story was continued in the comics because they were, the series of comics were like season eight, season nine, season like, so that's that story. So probably at the very least the beginning of a new story in the same world. Was one thing that stuck out to me in the research that Z sounds like a blew your mind. And now reading it is blowing my mind. (laughs) And I'm going to read what you wrote, which was, holy crap, you guys, according to this article, the Buffy fandom led to the creation of TVTropes.com, to which I respond, what? (laughs) As that article tells it, uh, TV Tropes started as a wiki, which started as, I guess, a place for all the different uh, plot devices that were being discussed on the forum over at Buffistas. .org. There is a thread with a bunch of plot device discussion going on, and somebody decided, well, let's sort these plot devices out, made a wiki, and then that wiki eventually just grew and grew until it became TV Tropes. And even now, according to this article, which I don't remember the date of, yeah. but even now, apparently Buffy is still the topic with the most content on TV Tropes. So I rescind my earlier remark about not having a good sense of Buffy fandom. It is obviously much larger than I can fathom. <laughs> it, it may not be as active in the in Buffy land, but clearly its influence is felt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I was so surprised at that revelation about the origins of TV tropes because... I mean, as a teen on the internet, maybe more as a 20-something on the internet, but nonetheless, as a younger person on the internet, spent a lot of time on TV tropes because it's so easy to just look stuff up there and just fall down that rabbit hole. And somehow, I just... I can't quite imagine a, uh, a younger person's experience, even now, which is probably inaccurate, but nonetheless... Uh, experience of the internet without some sort of TV tropes wandering. Before then, there was just dbzuncensored.com. <laughs> Sailor Moon Uncensored, don't forget that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of Sailor Moon, I mean, it came up a little bit earlier uh, when we were talking about, you know, who the show is for, and Sailor Moon maybe aimed a little bit younger. But I found this really neat article about the similarities between Sailor Moon and Buffy. It kind of made me wonder if you know, perhaps there is something in the the air, the water, that Joss Whedon and Naoko Takeuchi were breathing or drinking. But, um, you know, it lists 15. I'm not going to go into all of them. But the ones that I found really interesting were that um, 
both shows have rivals who later on, who later on become allies. Both focused on characters that need to hide their superpowers or supernatural powers to uh, help them get on with their quote normal lives, and both also included passing the torch from the current generation of Slayer or uh, Sailor Scouts to the next one, and then you know as well as including, I mean I'm just like oh yeah of course, but like as well as including um, LGBTQ empowerment and representation uh, that both shows included. And even if it's a little tangential, because it was in one of the Sailor Moon musicals, rather than the main show, both the Sailor Scouts and Buffy fought Dracula. What? <laughs> Apparently in one of the musicals, the Sailor Scouts go up against Dracula. One of the Sailor Scouts and a tuxedo mask become uh, enthralled, I think. And somehow they get out of that, uh, that sticky situation. The musicals are, are apparently very convoluted and all over the place, but that's a, apparently why people love them so much. Yeah. I'm driving to a, a larger picture point here. Um, it just seems like even though those are only two shows out of, even then, hundreds of shows that were available, that were maybe not available, but airing, um, that, they all, that they both hit on these similar ideas really suggests to me that at that time, teens were becoming more active fans because of the internet but also just because there was more media that really spoke to them and that really even now looking back even though it might not be the best lgbtq representation and empowerment the fact that it existed in the 90s when that when that um area of discussion was just generally not seen in in any kind of mainstream tv seems to really suggest to me that there is something something that those shows were tapping into that everybody was very interested in seeing more of like the 90s had you know the sort of like perhaps at times cheesy stuff like girl power and whatnot but again if you just like sort of scratch the surface away from that it seemed like a lot of meaningful stuff was really going on underneath that and i think shows like sailor moon and buffy played to those those undercurrents what i find interesting is we we have a rough idea of where teen like like you say say a show is for teens we have a rough idea where the starting age is for that probably like a like if it's like like got some some violence in it right probably 15 or 16 i feel like we don't have an ending age no i feel like people will still <laughs> i feel like teen is just like another type of show you can dip into you know it's like I want to, you know, I just yeah. feel like some high school drama. A, ah, I mean, as an as an episode full of tangents, it reminds me of a quick exchange between Jake and Amy in a recent episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, they're having kind of a heated argument and uh, uh, about you know not wanting to do the same things. And Jake brings up uh, how Amy didn't want to go see Bum- the movie Bumblebee about the Transformer Bumblebee with him because it's a movie for kids. <laughs> And Jake's rejoinder is, it's for teens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically how I feel about it. I'll watch, I'll, wa- I'll watch The Flash, you know. I won't watch Arrow. I definitely won't watch Riverdale. Yeah. I'll stick with I'll watch The Flash. But, like, yeah, I feel like... 
because there's there's something about children children's programming and especially older children's programming that makes it sort of inaccessible to adults now because it's just like it feels like it's too like like you're past that kind of thing but i I feel like i feel like teen shows don't quite have that same thing there's like a heightened sense of emotion that goes along with with Mm. like with teenage dramas and things like that but not really in subject matter like it mostly comes down to dialogue well, I mean, that's where we get YA from, right? Stuff that appeals to yeah. teens, but is likely to appeal to younger adults is usually just slapped with that YA label. I mean, Crack you the know, the Hunger, Game, <laughs> the Hunger Games, you know, put everybody in it, put all these teens in an arena and they all kill each other until one <laughs> person wins is not a, like is an adult concept. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's all like kind of how it's presented and like the age of the characters and, and the interactions between them. So like, it's just like another another way of storytelling, really. Mm-hmm. And I think because of Buffy, it's expanded quite a lot. Uh, like I see, I see my good pal Russell D Davies has my back here. Where <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. yeah, got a quote here: Buffy the Vampire Slayer shows the whole world and an entire sprawling industry. The writing monsters and demons and end of the world is not hack work. It can challenge the best. Just Just Whedon raised the bar for every writer, not just genre slash niche writers, but every single one of us. And as I go into this, just a reminder, my email is g at the com. I don't know how I feel about this, specifically <laughs> Russell T. Davies saying it, because I have a lot of misgivings <laughs> about his writing. Um, and I, f- I feel like like it was novel at the time because it felt like, like oh, you can, you can treat uh, shows for teens, shows for young adults. You can give them like actual funny things to say. Right, it, it's not just dumb humor. It's like clever humor. It's yeah. like you know stuff adults will still appreciate and stuff like that. So it's like it 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 sort of legitimized that that genre writing. However, I think it spawned this thing that it's more important to have clever dialogue than to have good characters. <laughs> and I feel like that spread quite far, and I'm not a huge fan of it. So. If if I can only have a show where my choice is good characters or like one-off characters that say things like, "Man, I think our team really has a shot." If we can just like if we can just like get our stuff together and like train and also have a lot less mysterious deaths, then we should be able to, to beat this other team. Like, you know what? I'm going to take that's not the exact quote, but I'm going to take that show because like there's so many good lines. I watched like a five minute compilation of hilarious lines from Buffy. And I don't remember the episodes, but those lines are gold. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that same article uh, where she pulled that quote from Russell T Davies from also made the point that Joss Whedon didn't want his teen dialogue to sound stilted or cringy or anything like that. So instead of trying to like pick out the teen slang of the day, he just watched teen speech patterns and sort of broke those down you know, swap things around as teen speech patterns suggest you you do. And then he made up this dialogue that is very witty and very quick. And as that article pointed out, it makes it sound oddly current because, well, we all do it now, don't we? Exactly. That's like, that's like the dialogue exactly. of the internet. Yes. Yeah. Be- yeah. So like that's that's incredible groundwork to put in, to study teen speech patterns and write according to that. Yeah. Presumably, when he wrote it, he was not a teen. So he was basically doing like an anthropological study of teens. 
in terms of de- in terms of how they spoke and broke yeah. that down and but now it's now it's not like it's not like oh that's teen speech patterns it's like originally that's how they talk on buffy or that's how they talk on firefly and now that's how they talk in tv and now that's how we talk because we watch that tv <laughs> and that's how the internet talks because the internet talks about tv oh. so yeah um that was uh yeah we all talk like teenagers from the 90s i guess yeah <laughs> i mean only 90s kids will remember that's true <laughs> Man, I am now like my brain is wrapped in thought about how much of my speech is because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's not like the only conclusion I'm going to draw from that. It's the, not the only thing I'm going to think about, but like, wow. I After doing this episode and chatting with the two of you about this, again, kind of remembering mostly very small bits about the show, but also hearing bits that I don't remember that well, uh, I, I think I would go back to watch it again or at least i say at least check out the movie like that's the thing i actually want to do i want to check out the movie because i want to see how it compares to the show but i, f- I feel like i would watch through it again because there were so many parts of it that like i mentioned at the outset that i've probably taken for granted in terms of storytelling and like character development and speech patterns and i want to i think i'd want to re-see that because I think probably the first five seasons, because I've heard that the last two weren't very good, um, I think there's a lot in there. Plus, it's a half an hour show, so I can definitely get through that. <laughs> hey, half an hour is all right, man. Did it start out as half an hour? I think it. I think it got up to like forty three minutes. <clears throat> oh no! Eventually, mm, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judgment I mean, pending. Still, like. They're still snappy 43 minutes, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think I'd go back and watch some of it is what I'm saying. And I think it would be good. I think it would hold up. Interesting that you use that exact phrasing T. Uh Oh, I'll drop my conclusion (laughs) next and include as a preface to that conclusion, my famous last words. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about your famous last words. Ridiculous buildup aside. My famous last words were aside from whatever controversy there might be around the show's creative head, is Buffy something that fans regard as easy to go back to and watch? Or mm-hmm. is it horribly dated? Perhaps as a uh, as a sign of the size of the Buffy fandom, opinions are divided. Uh one specific person writing on the Mary Sue uh, named Princess Weeks, uh, perhaps a pen name, I don't know. Anyway, uh, basically said that they enjoyed the show, but their biggest problem with it was what at the time was maybe one of the biggest revelations, one of the biggest um, praiseworthy things the show did, which was put an LGBTQ uh, relationship on TV in the relationship of Willow and Tara. Princess Weeks had a big bone to pick with this relationship because they regarded it as very toxic because Willow is Willow basically is very manipulative abuses her her magical power to uh, basically get what's what she wants out of Tara but also she or also Princess Weeks is not a fan of the relationship because Willow herself in Princess Weeks' eyes is a terrible person but that was just one person. 
one voice in a sea of voices. Going over to the admittedly probably very male Reddit. Um, there was a lot of agreement that the series is great, still holds up. Season, first season, not that good, but just stick with it. It gets better. Um, and even in GQ, there was the opinion that this show is still good, still great. Best superhero show to ever be on the air. Whew. Because it's not just about beating up these monsters. It's about what those monsters mean and what beating them up means, which makes it a little bit more timeless. Um, as per my own conclusions about the fandom, about the show, the fandom seems to be, I mean, as diverse as any other fandom, it doesn't seem to necessarily, or nothing really jumped out about it to me any more than any other. The show itself, um, when I wrote that review and watched Smashed like three, four, five times to do it, um, I, you know, I thought at the time and in that review, I, I said, you know, I'm going to start watching this show. I did not. Doing the research again, or doing the research for this episode, uh, I am, I'm, in the, I'm at the same place. I will start watching this show. Maybe it'll take this time. <laughs> as I wrap up, as I rapidly wrap up the office. Man, you gotta, you gotta make sure you don't take on too many, like, seven to nine season shows at a time. <laughs> Especially as I have obviously had the time to look up uh, shows that are 42 to 50 something minutes. Oh no. Here's, oh no. Here's at least one little, little uh, bone I've thrown myself, I guess. I'm going to be writing another review for another ATP publishing set of reviews. And it is of an episode of a show called Night Stalker, which only ran for for 10 episodes only six of which were aired so perfect i can wrap it's that up easy watch so easily oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> anyway all right Gee. so yeah as i mentioned before i'm slightly skeptical but in the spirit i'm, I'm not gonna watch the whole series i'm gonna stipulate that right now um but in the spirit of kind of kind of the academic conversation that still goes on on around Buffy, I'm interested in looking at it as an artifact of television and kind of what it was saying at the time that other shows weren't. So I'm 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 probably gonna look for like like a five representative episodes. I'm not I'm not gonna try and follow the story arcs. I can read those on Wikipedia. But I, I kind of want to find just episodes that that like sort of typify the Buffy experience and try and get a feel from, from that sample. If you have suggestions for me, please email them to me at Nick at G at the Otherwise I'll just kind of Google for a list. So, um, more like a, more like a further reading than a, than I, I'm going to watch this show, but uh, like, I'm, I'm curious as to its place in, in television and fandom history. If you want to follow the podcast, you can do so, um, on Facebook at Phanthropological or on Twitter at Phanthropologic. Uh, if you want to know what the three of us, the three Nicks, the Nicks cast are doing uh, at any given time, you can find us all over the internet at the Nicks cast. Just Google it and you find it in every conceivable social media platform that you'd want to be on. Z, why don't you tell us what you've been working on as of late? Sure. Sure. As of late, I'm still working away on uh, getting the Beowulf translation that I, 
uh, have posted all of over on bloggersbeowulf.com. That's bloggersbeowulf.com. Um, into a a book form, ebook first, then print on demand later on. But that's that's the big thing that I'm working on right now, and it's it's just about done. Should be releasing in the next few weeks. Although uh, over this course of this experience, I have learned that. I don't think I'll be re- announcing. I don't think I will be announcing release dates for projects until they're pretty much actually <laughs> done going forward. Because I push this one back a lot. So it, w- it will appear on the, on this show as it's out now. <laughs> actually, yeah. But by the time this comes up, it should be out. But we'll see. All right. So head on over to Bloggers Beowulf. Bloggers yes. Dot 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 something. Dot right? com. Head on over to bloggersbeowulf.com and find out what's going on with these Beowulf translation, the finest Beowulf translation that's ever been written. Absolutely. I have the utmost confidence. <laughs> it's no Seamus Heaney translation. That's for darn sure. Uh, if you want to see what I've been up to, you can head on over to fragileair.bandcamp.com. My album, Wave After Wave, is up there, released on my birthday in in January 2017. It is still music that I made. Um, uh, you can you can uh, pay kind of what you want for it and download it and get it in a Wave or an MP3 or FLAC or whatever you want, or you can listen to it about a bajillion times on the Bandcamp site, and that doesn't cost you anything, so you, you can go ahead and do that too. Um, hard at work working on some new stuff. I got all my synth gear. I got I got a new piece of synth gear. I got myself a Volca FM to satisfy the gear acquisition syndrome that plagues synthesists. <laughs> but that should be resulting in some new music coming fairly soon. So keep your eye on fragileair.bandcamp.com. And now we'll throw it over to a special message from our good friends, the Epic Film Guys. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 live stream for The Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, we're going for our biggest goal yet. Tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. And that just leaves one part of the show, the part that some of us say is the favorite part of the show. <laughs> that is the famous last words. words. Where we make a statement, ask a question, say something about next week's topic before doing any of the research. Maybe we know things, maybe we don't. Next week, we'll be talking about the fandom around Ruby, that is R-W-B-Y, the animated program produced by Rooster Teeth. So folks, what are your questions, comments, concerns, statements, facts, whatever about Ruby fans?
you said at the top, maybe we know stuff, maybe we don't. I know nothing hey. about Ruby, so I'm going to hang back and hear what you guys ask and then sure. see what I can generate off of that. All right. In, I mean, we'll get into this more when we get into the episode proper, but in my very, very limited experience and knowledge of Ruby, the one thing I do know is that it looks like an anime but it is Western produced. I also know that apparently um, in a further reversal of the usual for, for a, a show that looks the way it does, it was, I believe, dubbed into Japanese. Ooh. Because I, I could be wrong about that. If I am, then whatever I can, I can go from there. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, but if it has been dubbed into Japanese, what I want to know is, are there fans who prefer the dub over the... the? Are there fans who prefer the Japanese dub over the English dub because the show looks like an anime? Interesting. It only took me one question to come up with mine. Hey! <laughs> Perfect. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll get into sort of the detail of what this means more, but... Roughly, does the, fan, does the fandom care that it's a web series and not a television show? That leaves me. And my question is, for fans, how much of being a fan is related to being a fan of, of like Japanese anime? Like, how influential is that in people's decision to watch it? Cool. Like, I watched it, probably at least partly because it looks like anime. Also, why I watched Avatar: The Last Airbender helps that it's also a very good show. But like, is that the only factor? Are there people who watch it and hate that part of it? All right. Well, that being said, the only thing remains is to say thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, and until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.